as we dive into week two of our sermon series, let me remind you, last week we tackled a big question, and that was, can a Christian lose their salvation? Right? Once you are saved, can you lose it? And that sermon is on the podcast app and Spotify app. If you want to listen to it, you're more than welcome to. Well, tonight we come to another question. I hope that you'll write this down in your notes. The title for tonight's question is, does God answer all believers' prayers? Does God answer all believers' prayers? And I hope that you get as excited with me as you can, because it's okay to make noise in church. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. We get excited about the Word because it's the Word of God that changes lives. And so tonight we're looking at 1 John chapter 5. Now, this is a very popular question, this question of does God answer all believers' prayers. What we did in the month of May is we asked you guys to send in questions. And I'm glad we did. I've been doing college ministry now for about five, six years. College students have a lot of questions, especially about the Bible, theology, ministry, roles in the church, alcohol, marijuana. You are not short on questions. And the great thing about God is God is never short on answers. His word is sufficient. And so when we go to his word, we find answers to some of our biggest questions. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm not going to do this with every question. But tonight, I want you to understand just how many different ways this question was asked, okay? This question was turned in. There were probably about seven or eight people disconnected from each other who turned in this question. And each one of them was worded slightly different. What I did is I took all those questions and tried to make it as one question as I could. And this is what I landed on. But I want you to hear how many I got turned in on prayer so that you and me can agree that we're not perfect prayer warriors. Right? You you come in the church, you hear about prayer, we talk about prayer a lot, you see people who look like they got perfect prayer lives, and you feel bad about yours. There's not a single of us in here who are perfect prayer warriors, but we're striving to get there. We want to be prayer warriors. I do. So here's how many different ways this question was asked, all by college age students. One was where this one really landed. Why does it seem God answers some prayers but not others? Another variation was, why does prayer matter if God's going to do whatever he wants anyways? Another variation of that question was, why do some people get healed and some don't? Another one was, why do some people get blessed and others don't, right? Why does it seem, and you think about James, why does it seem that the wicked are prospering and the believers are suffering, right? That's even similar to that concept. Another one was, why is prayer so hard sometimes? Don't you appreciate that honesty? (laughs) It was like, what questions do you have? Why is this so difficult, (laughs) I'm telling you, it requires discipline. It says this along with that question. A lot of Christians act like they are perfect with prayer, yet it's a grind for me to stay consistent with it. I don't think they're the only person in here who relates to that. And then the last one, probably the most honest one, says this. I stopped praying because it seemed all I got from God was silence. What do I do? Man, that's honest, isn't it? It's amazing when you open up for the room to be able to ask questions, you learn a lot about where people are with their beliefs, especially on prayer, especially on the Bible. And so what I want to do is I want to try to put some of these questions together and answer them best we can through God's word. Now, as I said a moment ago, let's take off the church facade, if we will. Let's take off the church face, the church voice, the church act. And you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in church, you know How sometimes we have this church appearance to us, right, where we're holier than thou, or we've got prayer down. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, prayer is hard. Does anybody agree? It's not always easy. And prayer can be hard. There are a lot of days 
especially when you hear testimonies about prayer or you hear sermons on prayer where you walk away and the only thing you can think is, man, I am just the worst human being on this planet. I never talk to God. Do I even know him, right? Because we get so discouraged about prayer. Our senior pastor is one of the most incredible prayer warriors I've ever been able to witness firsthand. And yet, as he walks around doing ministry, you'll hear him say things like, man, I need to really pray more. And I'm like, dude, if you pray more, you never would leave the house, right? Like, you are the prayer warrior. You are the standard. But he would never say that of himself. And so many of us walk around with this desire to become more effective and more vulnerable in prayer, but we don't know how. Now, one of the things I wrote down on this is that prayer is simple and complex at the same time. Is it not? Prayer is simple and complex. It's easy and it's difficult. You can approach the throne with boldness and talk to God every day, but at the same time, you, you can lack the desire and the discipline to do it. Right? It's easy and hard at the same time. It's simple enough that when an athlete, a pro athlete, gets injured and taken to the hospital, that ESPN newscasters who don't even believe in God, don't know a lick of the Bible, begin saying things like, we really need to pray for his recovery. Even people who do not know God understand, man, when something bad happens, we need to pray. And yet, prayer is also so deep and so complex that theologians can study it their entire life and still on their deathbed be learning about the depths and the power of prayer. It is simple and complex at the same time. So what does that mean for you in your life? What does that mean for me in my life in 2023? I'll show you two verses on prayer, and you watch at how different these are. Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus says this on prayer. We'll put it on the screen. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We all get that, right? That's simple. It's step by step. He even, like, Jesus spells it out, go into a private room, and then he says, shut the door. Not cracked, but shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You get verses like this on prayer in Scripture that are very easy to understand, very practical. And then you also get verses like this. This comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, in the same way, I may have sent the wrong reference to him. Listen to me. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. I'd love to call a few up and have them describe that verse in 30 seconds and see if we can stumble through it, right? That's complex. That the Holy Spirit would intercede for us with inexpressible groanings when we don't know what to pray for. So prayer is simple. Prayer is complex. And yet, it is so vital to the life and the health of our soul. So with all that in mind, where are you at in your prayer journey? Is it something you and your family did growing up? It's something that you're accustomed to? It's a tradition? It's that thing where you're like, man, I'm, you know, anytime anybody asks you how you're doing spiritually, your number one go-to is, man, I just want to pray more. I just need to pray more. And that's like your go-to because everybody is always like, yeah, me too. You know, nobody is ever like, you need to pray more. You haven't got that figured out yet. He's a secret in the church. Anytime anybody asks you how you're doing spiritually, if you just say you need to pray more, they're always going to go, yeah, me too, and then move on, and you'll never get questioned about it. You'll never get questioned about it. Why? Because we all in the church feel too insecure about our own prayer life to ever hold somebody else accountable. Even in discipleship, sometimes your disciple leader will just be like, yeah, man, I need to pray too. We should schedule a time and go together. They'll never push like, hey, do you, do you ever plan 
retreat times to go without your phone and just be with God so you have to focus on him. We don't do that within the church because so many of us are insecure about our prayer lives. And when we are insecure about something, we don't want accountability and we don't feel confidence to hold others accountable to it. So what ends up happening with Christians? We just don't pray. We just don't pray. We put on worship services and we don't pray about them. We have meetings, we don't pray about them. We go to work, we sit in our car 10 minutes beforehand, and we scroll on Instagram Reels, we scroll on TikTok, we Snapchat our friends, and we never pray about the day. We go to class, we never pray about it. We decide where we're going to go to college, and we weigh every single option except God's. We decide what we're going to do with our major, and we talk to 10,000 people about their recommendations, and we don't consult God. We, we ask him two times before we go to sleep, God, show me your will for my life and what I should do with my degree. Good night. And then we make the most logical decision we can, and we don't really bring God into that process. Guys, prayer, when done in a way that is truly desiring God, will change your life. Now, tonight I want to talk about God's answers to our prayers. I'm going to give you the three answers and what they mean for our lives. So look with me, if you will, at 1 John chapter 5. This is a passage on how to truly thrive in prayer. And I'm also going to read from John 14 the words of Jesus, but we're going to start in 1 John chapter 5. Now this is verse 14, and it says this. This is the confidence, everybody say confidence, confidence we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his, what? According to his, what? Will, boom, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears God bless you. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Not only that, Nate, let me show you this. John chapter 14, you can just look on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Jesus says this in verse 12. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, he's speaking to his disciples here, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater than works than these because I am going to the Father. Verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He reiterates it. If you ask me anything in my name, God bless you, I will do it. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know what we do right here in most church services? This is where we pray. Why? Because we read God's word, we say a prayer that he'll bless it, and then we go into the rest of the message. Last week we talked about for a moment how what we do is we bring our plans to God and ask him to bless them instead of letting him give us the plan and he blesses us that way. So even right now before I pray to talk about prayer, you've been in church services. When the pastor prays, a lot of times you do what? You do what I do when I'm sitting out there. Your mind goes elsewhere. You check your phone, you think about what's coming up next, you think about what you were thinking about before I started this sermon, you forget the intro, you forget everything we talked about. Don't. When I pray, join me in prayer and ask that we would not just bring our service to him and ask him to bless it, but ask that he would give us the plan for tonight and we would give glory to his name. That if he wants to change volleyball, we'll change volleyball. I love it. That's great. But if he has a different plan, we have a different plan. If he wants to change the sermon series, we change it next week. But are we even open to that? 
is my question to you. So with that mindset, will you pray with me? You pray where you are, and I'm going to pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we don't fully get prayer. God, not a single person in here is perfect with this. Lord, we know your word tells us to talk to you. We know your word tells us to ask you for things and requests. We know your word tells us that we will have peace when we pray. So, Father, we come to you right now and we lay down tonight. We and all of tonight is an open canvas for you. Would you do first in us whatever you desire? Right now, if our mind has not been here, would you refocus us? Right now, if we've had a bad attitude, would you take it away? Right now, Lord, if we have not been thinking about you and your supernatural love for us, would you please impress that on our hearts in a way that we cannot suppress? Lord, with everything of my sermon, would you change anything so that it is your words and not mine? Lord, we come to you and we ask for you to direct the service tonight. And we just want to be a part of what you're doing. We love you. We are sinners. We are not perfect, but we love you and we want to know you. And we know that we know you through prayer and your word. So God, would you tonight have your way. Help us get more of you because we were gathered here tonight. Not more of the world, not even just more of each other, but help us to get more of you. Father, we love you. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Prayer is not just a transition time. Prayer is approaching the throne. Now, here's number one. I hope that you're taking notes. Write this down. Let's talk about this. Prayer is relational. Don't make it transactional. Prayer is relational. Don't make it transactional. Now, scripturally, before we get to our three answers, we need to understand the concept, first off, that prayer is relational, that you cannot make it transactional. Transactional is a business term, and I believe that's how many of us go into our prayer life. If we're honest tonight, we're going to peel back some of the layers of false confidence about prayer, and we're going to get actually confident in prayer. I believe we go into prayer oftentimes, myself included, I'm one of the biggest ones, and I want to overcome this in my life. We go into prayer as if it is a business, as if it is a business. This term about transactions, it represents buying and selling. It's a business exchange. It's an exchange of goods. When I was in elementary school, I went to Bartlett Elementary, and my mom, she's in the back of the room. She's here tonight. My mom was on the PTA, which is the parent-teacher, what, association, I guess? Parent-teacher board at my elementary school, which was fantastic. I got to see her all the time. It was awful, though, because the minute I did something wrong, she knew about it immediately. <laughs> So when I pulled my clip, she was like at the door window looking at me. So my mom was on the PTA. And me and my mom, I never forget when the $1 chocolate bar sale would happen. Listen, I don't know if you did this. If you were homeschooled, you may have just sold, you know, to the neighborhood. I don't know. But at elementary school, sorry, I know you're homeschooled. At elementary school, we would get a box, right? Some of you guys have never heard about this. We'd get a box. And we would go around selling these $1 chocolate bars to people. And, man, the goal was if you sold the most, like, in your class, you got a prize. You remember this? I hope that you did this. I did this all the time. And me and my mom, we used to kill it. You sell 100 chocolate bars. You get to, I think in fifth grade, it was like riding a limo to the, you know, Red Robin. So it wasn't impressive. <laughs> but I loved it. See, Red Robin was like fine dining to me at that time. So in the fifth grade, it seemed great. You get to ride in a limo to Red Robin. And the workers are very confused. 
um, as to what is happening currently while fifth graders are jumping out of a limo to their thing at 2 p.m. And the goal was to sell as many chocolate bars. And so I remember at a young age having this concept in my mind of if I do good, if I sell these chocolate bars, I get a prize, right? I bring something to the table, right? I, I obtain a certain amount of dollars, and I can go cash those dollars in at the end of the day, right? And I get a prize for it. I get something for that, right? At a young age, you and I are instilled in our minds that we do good, we get something, right? We do good, we get something. You redeem something, right? There's an exchange. Even with chores, right? You do chores, and what? You get something, right? You get money. You get dollar bills. You get prizes. Your parents take you on vacation. They take you on trips. They take you to allow you to have a friend's day over the night at your house, right? You do these things, and you gain something. And this concept of transactional exchange of goods is how we approach prayer, that if we figure out the puzzle of prayer, and if we say the right things at the right time to God, right, like if we line up the stars well enough, if we do enough good, if we obtain enough God dollars, then we can exchange them, and God's going to give us a blessing, right? God's going to do something good for us. And listen, you guys would laugh whenever I say that we view God as Santa Claus, because we would never come out and say that. But from a young age, what happens every year? You do good all year. You don't get a lump of coal. You get a present under the tree, right? Genie in a bottle. You get a genie, you get three wishes. How are you going to use your three wishes? I'm going to make a wish for more wishes, right? And we have this mindset, and we approach God in the same type of fashion with this idea that prayer is about an exchange of goods, that if I give God what I think he wants, he's in turn going to give me exactly what I want. Guys, that is the prosperity gospel, and it is not biblical. The prosperity gospel says that if you do whatever God wants from you, that he will do whatever you want, whatever you want, that as long as you just do whatever you're supposed to do, that you're going to get healed, you're going to get all the money in the world, you're going to thrive, you're going to succeed, you're going to have good health, you're going to have good friendships, and you're not going to have trouble. Guys, that's not scriptural. Jesus' highest moment for us was when he was nailed to a cross. That's the lowest of lows, and yet God took that terrible moment and turned it into one of the greatest acts of human history, the greatest act, because it freed us from the chains of slavery. Even Paul in the New Testament, as he's writing from prison, he says, I have found the secret to being content in any circumstance. He doesn't write that from a palace. He writes it from a prison cell. And so for us, like that creeps into our minds. Hear me, because I've seen it with college-age students many times, that we go to God and it's this transactional thing. It's I want from God. What must I do to get from him? Can I word this prayer the right way? Can I pray just enough times to get what I want? And we miss the purpose of it. Here's why, well, here's why prayer is not a business, because you can't buy from God anyway. You couldn't buy your salvation. We talked last week. It's a gift from God. You can't buy it from God. You can't buy favor from God. And whatever it is that you're trying to sell God, he sees right through it anyway. You can't sell it to him. God sees all that is within the heart. So that means prayer is about something much greater. What is it? Hear me. Prayer is not about getting from God. It is about getting more of God. But we miss that. Now hear me because I'm going to make sure to stamp this down tonight. Prayer is not a business. It is not transactional. It's not about just getting that blessing or getting that answer to your life's calling and what you're supposed to do. Guys, the calling of God can never outweigh your pursuit of the character of God. You cannot understand and fulfill the call he has for you if you don't understand who he is. 
So if I sit down and ask you one-on-one tonight, hey, do you think God is Santa Claus? I know everyone in this room would tell me no, but let me ask it to you this way then. How much time do you ask God for things versus how much time do you praise him? In your prayer life and in mine, does what you ask for outweigh your praise? Good things and bad. Let me ask you to a different way. Is your goal just to get him to do something? Or is your goal to know him more? When I listen to my peers pray, I hear a lot of, God, would you please do this? God, would you please do that? It's, and a lot of it is lip service. And when we grow up, man, with our parents, sometimes we can convince our parents if we say the right things, we can get away with it. I knew with my mom, not all the time, but uh, one out of ten times, if I sweet talk my mom, if I tell her that, man, mom, you're the best mom in the world, I love you, I ain't going to do no wrong. I know if I do the right lip service, I might get a pair of Jordans out of it, right? If I just say the right things, if I just put on this front, I might get something out of it. And guys, we try to do the same thing with God, and he sees right through it. In fact, in his word, it says this, Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says, The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. As a kid, we aren't always loving to our parents just to be loving to them. We're loving to them. Why? So we want to get something from them. We aren't always nice to our friends just to be nice to our friends to make their day better. We're nice, why? Because a lot of times they can do something for us. And a lot of our prayer life, if we're going to be real honest and pull back the church facade for a moment, a lot of our prayers are what can God do for me, not how can I get to know God more. Guys, this will radically change your prayer life if your goal in prayer begins to change. The author of Hebrews exhorts us to this. This is chapter 13, verse 15. It says, Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. When your goal is to get more of God than it is to get from God, your prayer life will take off like you never could have imagined. And you'll get far more than you ever could have asked for anyway. When your goal, when you go into prayer, is to know God and let him get a hold of you, all of a sudden you start walking around in defeat in prayer. You start walking around in victory in prayer. Because the great thing is when you show up looking for God, he's always there ready for you. Let me take you back to the verse I read when we started our night. It says Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Psalm, thir- Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That every single time you show up to God, he is not short on his presence. He is not short on showing up for you. What if your prayer life got to the point where it was not dependent on the blessings of God? But the only thing your prayer life was actually dependent on was the presence of God. Think about it for a minute. If your prayer life is successful, when you get the presence of God, you are never short. You never walk away unsatisfied. Why? Because he always meets you right where you are. 
I heard somebody say amen. It's okay to make noise in church. He meets you right where you are. You're never short on his presence. But when you pray for that car, God might not park it in the driveway as soon as you're done praying. When you pray for a boyfriend or girlfriend, you might be single for another seven years. So if your prayer life is dependent on that future relationship or that car you're hoping to get, you might be unhappy for years in prayer. Woo! But if your prayer life is dependent on spending time with God, you never walk away shorted. You never walk away disappointed. Never. I mean, seriously, what happens if you start praying to God like that? What happens? You'll know your purpose more. You'll know why you're here. You'll know why he brought you to something like tonight. And when you go back to your family, you have so much more confidence to ask them questions about what they Believe. I do pray that in your heart you've reached a place where you have learned that the greatest blessing God could offer you is his presence. That even if, hear me for a minute, and I know this is radical thinking. We don't understand this in 2023 America. That in your prayer life, if you walked away broke financially, if you walked away single with no love interest, no boo, if you walked away from your prayer life with no home and no car and no clothes and no meal to eat, if you walked away from your prayer life with none of the things that even God has promised to give us, but you walked away from it knowing the God of the heavens and the earth that you would be satisfied. Is that radical? I think it is. But it's scriptural. All those things are an added bonus to your life. Do you want to live the rest of your 40, 50, 60, however many years you have left? Do you want to live it all for those things that will pass away? You will not be married in heaven. You will have a new body. Some of us are like, oh, no. Some of us are like, praise the Lord. I'll be in shape. (laughs) Why put your faith in these things that don't last? Why Allow your prayer life to be dependent on these things. I'm serious. I told our leaders a few moments ago before the service. Robbie Gallaty is a pastor located in Nashville, right outside of Nashville. They had a revival break out in 2021. They had baptisms happening in all their services. They were baptizing people from around the country. People would watch their live stream and then drive to Hendersonville where their church is located to get baptized. It was really an amazing thing. It was right after COVID. Really, even in the middle of COVID, they saw a revival break out. And some of us pastors drove up to hear Robbie Gowdy speak. Does anybody know who Robbie Gowdy is by show of hands? Right, Some of us know Robbie. He's a big pastor. He's a lot bigger than I am. And he sat down with us pastors and he talked about what led him to seeing the revival happen. And I don't even know if he talked about this from a stage, but he talked about it with us and he said we were free to share. We went to listen to him and we went up to his church and we sat down. He talked to us for about an hour, just a group of us, probably about 10 or 20 of us. And we said, Robbie, how do you see this happening? Like, you have people driving all around the country. They're giving their lives to Jesus. They're getting baptized. They're getting in discipleship groups. They're growing. They're in life groups. You are seeing something special happen. How did this happen? What did you do? (laughs) Because what? That's what we pray for all the time is that people who would not normally know Jesus would get on fire for Jesus, right? We want to see people's lives changed by the gospel. And this is what he said. He said, guys, I started sitting in silence. I started sitting in solitude. And all of us in the room are like, we laughed at first. Because that goes against every single thing you've been taught in church growing up. That if you want to see God do a movement, you're supposed to do what? Do something, right? And he said, guys, I'm telling you, this movement started when I sat down. He told us, he said, every single day, 
I started sitting in silence and solitude on my patio. He didn't have his phone, no laptop, no Apple Watch. Nobody else was around. Nobody could get to him. No noise, no worship music, no highlighter, nothing. Just him on his patio in silence and solitude. He said he started with two minutes. Then he would sit there in silence for five minutes. Then he would sit there for 15 minutes. Then he got to 30. Then he got to an hour. And he was just sitting in silence. And he, I wasn't going to plan to share this, but I'll share this. It could be for somebody. He said what he would do in his mind, whenever his mind got distracted, is he would recite this verse that says, be still and know that I am God. But he would do it like this. His eyes would close and he would go, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Be still and know that I am God. And he would go through it just like that, taking off the last word every time, and then he would start over. And he would do that until his soul was calm and his mind was focused on the Lord. And from that came sermons that saw revival happen, people catching off. It was a crazy story. And he shared about this one night. He sat on his porch for an hour and a half, 90 minutes of silence. He didn't say a word. He just sat and he just listened. And he said at the end of 90 minutes, he goes inside. He walks up the steps. He's walking back inside his house. And he takes the door. And his wife's inside the living room. And he closes the door. And he closes it a little loud. He's frustrated. And his wife asks him. She goes, what's wrong? This is what he says to her. He says, Man, I didn't get anything out of that 90 minutes. Not a single word, not a single answer. I didn't get anything. And hadn't you been there? Have you ever gone to God in prayer and felt like you walked away with nothing? Isn't that our question? Isn't that the seven questions? Why does it seem like sometimes I go to God and I get nothing? I get no answer to my prayer. I get no guidance. I get no revelation. I get no real impression. I don't feel any emotions. Like I just walk away from it and I don't have anything. Don't we often say that? That's the whole thing of, does God even answer my prayers? Does he hear me? Robbie Gowdy walked inside the house. He said that. He said, I didn't get anything out of that 90 minutes. Then he said, in that moment, after nothing but silence from God for 90 minutes, the Holy Spirit struck his heart. And he said, the Holy Spirit said this on his heart and laid it on him. He said, God told me, but you got me for 90 minutes. You got my presence for 90 minutes. Was that enough? When a loved one goes to a hospital and you go see them and you sit by their bed, they don't always need you to talk. They don't need you to give advice. They don't need you to strategize with the doctors. What do they need you to do? Sit by their side. Why? Because your presence is enough to a loved one. And Robbie said in that moment, God asked him, was his presence enough? And that was the word that he walked away with, is God enough? Colossians, it's radical thinking, I know. But if you go spend time with God and you walk away with no revelation about your life, no financial burden met, no friend that you've been praying for, no relationship. You don't get any of the answers to your prayer, but you get the presence of God and you get to sit with him and he is with you because his presence is never shorted. He is with you. He does not leave you or forsake you. Was 
that time worth it? If it is, then does God answer your prayers? Yes. Because his presence is never limited. Psalm 37, verse 3 and 4 say this. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. And I love verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's decrees. When you fall in love with God, you'll enjoy being in his presence. When you're a kid, all you, all you do is want stuff from your parents. And then you get older and you grow up a little bit and you realize you don't really want anything from your parents, do you? Don't really matter if they buy you the shoes. Don't really matter if they buy you the clothes. In fact, when you think about your childhood, you don't really think about the stuff they bought you anyway. You think about the games they showed up to. You think about the recitals they were present at. You think about the times you were sick and they were by your bed giving you medicine and Gatorade, making you feel better. You get a little bit older, you start realizing all you really want is their presence. And you start realizing that all they really want is your presence. Not anything you can do or accomplish in your life. I wrote this down in my notes. A sign of a mature college and young adult student is that they don't desire things from their loved ones. They just desire more of their loved ones. And I think in the same form or fashion that we flip that and say that a sign of a mature Christian is that they don't just want stuff from God. They want more of God. So relationship is the top priority. But what does this mean for us? In terms of bringing our requests to God. Let's go to our question of the night. We've established this, okay? That prayer is about delighting in the Lord. That it is relational. You get to know the God who has always been there. And you get to know him more in your heart. And he transforms you to be more like him. But scripture does not say it is bad to ask. Scripture does not say it is bad to bring requests to God. Scripture says that God will move. Says ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. So what do we do with that? So here's the foundation piece, Okay. Number one, prayer is relational. But number two, what happens when we do have requests that we bring to God? So number two, when God says yes, do you praise him? Do you praise him? This idea that we all want to know that does God answer, answer prayers, I think a lot of people ask, does God answer all of my prayers my way? The answer to that is what? No, if he did, all, all of us would look a little bit differently. Our lives would look different if God answered every prayer that we ever prayed. In fact, I think you probably have some prayers you regret praying. Amen. If you think about it, man, if God answered all your prayers, you might be in a tough spot. You'd be married to some people you really wouldn't want to be married to if God answered all your prayers. <laughs> Let's be honest. Hey, you, you would have some friends you didn't really want for all eternity to be your friends. You'd have some problems in your life if God answered every prayer. You might be doing a different career that you'd hate if God answered every prayer. So God doesn't answer every prayer our way. But there are three answers to each prayer, and the first one is yes. And aren't you glad that God does answer prayers? Like, God does say yes. Miracles happened. Make some noise if God has ever answered a prayer for you that you didn't think he could. Hallelujah. Amen. He asked for me. It's amazing. Hallelujah. He asked. That, that verse I just quoted in Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. One of the things about 
this generation is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We often don't understand that. Knowledge is the information that we can obtain, and wisdom is knowledge applied. And because of social media, because of the access that we have to so much information, there are so many people now who have a voice. You used to have to earn a voice. You used to have to really earn one before you could speak into people's lives. But now, because of social media, you can just create a voice. It really is astounding, and it's shaping your generation a lot more than you realize. How many voices you hear every single day on social media? There's a lot of people with knowledge out there. There's not a lot of people with wisdom out there. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And did you know, and I hope that you do, many of you have memorized this, that in James, God promises every time you ask for wisdom, he's going to say yes. Did you know that? That he, you will never ask him for wisdom and he say no. However, there is a condition to that prayer, isn't there? Do you know James chapter 1? There's a condition to it. And it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, and we can keep it right here, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Wisdom, you're never short on it. You can ask, and he's going to give it. But there's a requirement, Sambo. Verse 6 says this, but let him ask in what? Woo! Let him ask in faith without doubting. Why? James does not hold back on the doubter. He says, for the doubter is like the surging sea being driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7 says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Why? Faith is important to your prayer life. That you must ask for wisdom in faith, believing that he will give it to you. And when you do, he gives you wisdom. Now, isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if when we choose where we're going to work, we first sought the wisdom of God before we applied to places? I know that's radical thinking. I know it's crazy. In today's age, before you get a job, it's a race. you got to get your application in. you got to beat out other candidates. It's just none of how it's set up is honoring to the Lord in most ways. you got to be the quickest, not the best. In today's world, quantity and quickness is far valued over quality, is it not? So this idea of slowing down and asking God for wisdom with where you go to school, where you work, who you marry, is foreign to our generation in 2023. We don't understand it. But when you pray for wisdom, God says yes. That means God will be the voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. I would feel really bad if... I was directing my life. Because I'll be honest, I, would, I am a terrible director and a terrible life decision maker. If it was just my will and what I think is best, I couldn't imagine where I would be. Nowhere good. Nowhere good. But because God wants to direct our lives and give us wisdom and give us discernment, we get to follow his path. And man, he will make a way for you when you don't think he will make a way. I love this moment in the Gospel of Luke when you talk about gratitude and thankfulness. Luke 17, verse 11 to 19, some of you know this, this story. It says this, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan, lowly, not valued in society. Then Jesus said, and Jesus never asked a question in the gospel he doesn't already know the answer to. He's not asking that question for himself. He's asking for who? You, me, the follower. He says, look what he asked. He says, were not 10 cleansed? Jesus knows exactly how many he healed. He knows. He says, weren't there 10? There's only one here saying thank you. 
says this. Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Gratitude. Ooh, I tell you, when I was a freshman in college, I heard this quote. And I've never forgotten it. I was lost at the time. I never forgot this quote. It says this. It says, when your worship is at an all-time low, your entitlement is probably at an all-time high. Yes is an answer. I'm not going to spend my majority of my time here. But I will give you number three. Number three says this. When God says wait, are you patient for him? So if you don't consider wait an answer to prayer, then no, God does not answer all of your prayers. If you only consider yes as an answer to your prayer, then you have a lot of unanswered prayers. But scripturally, we see that there are three responses. There's yes, no, and there's wait. Man, I want you to be honest. Don't raise your hand just because anybody else is. I want you to be really honest. Has God ever told you to wait in something you were praying for? That's a tough answer to accept, isn't it? I'll be honest, Jay Lee, sometimes a no is better. (laughs) Sometimes I'd rather take a a no, I'll be honest. Sometimes a no is better, at least I know, right? Sometimes God's answer to prayer is wait. Is that an answer to you? Is that an answer? Like, will you take that as an answer? See, some of us will walk around telling people, and guys, I'm so serious about this. We, including myself, will walk around and tell people, God doesn't answer my prayers, but really we know he's told us to wait, and we just don't like it. Wait! Slow down. Scripture talks so much about waiting on the Lord. In fact, it says this in Lamentations 3, verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Would you accept wait? We have this culture and this tradition in our mind that God owes us an answer by a certain time in our life. That by 22 or 23, we should know the entire plan and direction and career for our lives. Who said that? All throughout history, things have changed by the ages. A 13-year-old used to be a grown adult. We don't go by that no more. And somehow in our mind, we have this 23 in our head, 23, 24, 25. If I don't have my life planned and my life figured out by these dates, I'm in trouble. And you know what that does? As a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior, you miss all that God has for you during those years because you're trying to store and store and store and store for the years where you feel the most pressure. And then you get to those years and you're unfulfilled in them because you didn't build or make anything that would last in your first three years. Guys, I've done college ministry long enough to tell you nothing about me, but that I've seen plenty 18, 19, and 20-year-olds do really well and thrive in the next season, and it's because they gave God this one. God wants you in this season before he gives you the next. And let me tell you, on the flip side, I've seen so many, and it breaks my heart. It's what I'm most passionate about. I've seen so many 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds, and all they did, all they did, was did whatever made them feel good, chased after pleasure, and hoped and hoped and hoped that the next stage or the next thing would give them happiness, and they get there, and it doesn't, and they don't know what to do because they didn't build a foundation of discipleship while they were in college. May this group, wherever you are on the spectrum, maximize where you are now because that's the first step to maximizing where God takes you next. I love Fernando. Many of y'all know Fernando. Fernando is one of our core 
leaders here at The View. And Fernando is right now serving all summer long in Peru. It's his second summer serving there. And I love Fernando because I give Fernando a hard time. I remember when he was a freshman, I texted him inviting him to Bellevue Loves Memphis, which is our local mission project here. And he left me on red. (laughs) And he didn't hit me back. And I give him a hard time about it because now he's hitting me up about when Bellevue Loves Memphis is since he works in our missions office. (laughs) And I'm like, Fernando, I know when Bellevue Loves Memphis is. Don't worry. I have it on my calendar. And I look at where God had Fernando as a freshman. And now think about him serving two summers back-to-back in Peru on mission. It's quite amazing. It doesn't make him any better or worse than anybody serving in Memphis this summer. But have you given him this summer where you are right now fully? I need to keep going. There's an answer, and that is yes. There's an answer, and that is wait. And then do you consider this an answer to prayer? Number four, when God says no, do you still pursue him? When God says no, do you still pursue him? No is an answer to prayer. We can bring a request and God can say no. Now, let me get practical. And I'm going to break this down. This is the final place for tonight. If you have prayed prayers to God, let's answer our question for the night. And you believe God has said no. You believe God has been silent. You believe God has not moved. In some form or fashion, you have asked God for requests. Maybe you asked him to heal someone. Maybe you asked him for a financial breakthrough. Maybe you asked him for a friendship to be restored. Whatever it is for you, I don't know, it's personal to you. But if you have prayed and you feel like it's no or you feel like it was silence and not answered, scripturally, there are four possibilities as to why. At the end of the day, scripture, there are four reasons why you might have been told no or you might have not heard anything from God. And I hope that you write these down. These are going to answer our question tonight. One of, the, one of the biggest possibilities you might get a no from God or get silence from God is A, hurt relationships. Hurt relationships. Now, scripturally speaking, sin as a believer, as we talked about last week, does not take our salvation away. It does not take away the security that we have. But sin does hurt and break our relationship and our fellowship to God. When you get in trouble with your parents and you get in trouble with your mom or your dad, you don't always want to go home at the end of the day. Like I remember in eighth grade getting detention for the first time, not wanting to go home. The last thing I wanted to do was go home to my mom and dad. I still belonged in that home. I was still a child of theirs. But I knew what was coming. (laughs) Right? It hurts that fellowship. When you get in trouble with your parents, you don't always want to sit around and have a conversation with them. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to spend time with them. Why? Because you disobey what they've told you to do. Well, listen, first and foremost, your relationship with God, sin hurts that fellowship. And if there's a sin in your life that is reigning supreme over you, that hurts your prayer life. But not only that, though, the Bible is clear that if we have beef, if we have conflict, if we have strife, if we have bitterness with other people, that hinders your prayer life. Did you know that? Did you know that some of your prayers may not be answered? You may not get a yes. You may get silence, and it's because you have unsettled beef or conflict with people. You say, Daniel, that's outrageous. I don't believe that. I'll show you in Scripture. It says this, Mark 11, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your wrongdoing. That's stout on forgiveness. I'll give you another one, though. Matthew 5. Verse 23 to 24. 
It says this. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember, hey, the Holy Spirit puts it on your mind, that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. That means stop praying, stop worshiping, stop right there. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So you you think about that for a minute. That means if you're right here, and you're praying, and you're saying, Lord, man, I need a financial breakthrough. I need you to help my mom. I need you to give me confidence this week. And you remember, so-and-so has a problem with me, and I haven't done anything about it. Scripturally, it is teaching that you are to go to them and say, hey, Gavin, I know that you have a problem with me. <laughs> Not actually, right? I mean, we're good. No, I mean, well, we're tight. Well, for sure. But I know you have a problem with me. And, like, I want to squash that so that our relationship is glorifying to God. Because if we walk around with beef between us, if we walk around with this conflict, that's not bringing any glory to God. Yeah. And then he or she has the option to either forgive you or not forgive you and to make it right, but you did your part. And then when that is settled, praise the Lord. Thankful for your relationship. When you go back to God, <laughs> Scripture says you are in better standing to pray and receive what he has for you because you took the extra mile to restore a relationship in your life. Boy, that's so hard to do, isn't it? That's so hard to do. Why? Because probably somebody who has a conflict with you, you probably don't like them. It's not lovable Gavin. (laughs) It's somebody that you can't stand probably. It's somebody that you don't like either. So when you're in that moment and God puts that on your heart, you're praying and he goes, you need to go talk to so-and-so. You're like, no shot. Anyways, God, I need some money for tuition this semester. (laughs) Right? Like, I need a meal this this summer, God. (laughs) Like, no shot. But scripture teaches that you have even more access to what God has for you when you live in harmony with those around you. What if you and I got over ourselves and went to those people and looked to restore those relationships? The first one is, A, a hurt relationship, but not only that, B, selfish motives. Why are you not getting your answer in prayer? Why does it seem God is silent? Why do you walk away from your prayer life empty? I'll tell you why, because our verse tonight, 1 John 5, can we put that on the screen? 1 John 5. Verses 12 to 14. I'm sorry, 14 to 15. I'm getting confused with John. It says, this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his what? His will. Not our selfish ambition. We got to die to that. But when we ask things according to his will, when we are desiring for our request to be answered so that Jesus gets more glory, we walk away with some effectiveness in prayer. You can't fool God. You cannot go to God and convince him that if you have a selfish desire, that it's what's best for the kingdom. He sees right through it. Selfish motives doesn't get us anywhere in the kingdom of heaven. Number C is this, though. You really didn't believe God would do it. Why do you see a lack of effectiveness in your prayer? It's because of a lack of faith. You didn't really believe God would do it. I know you have been where I have been with this. I have approached the throne boldly many times and then got to that one request request and stumbled through it because I really didn't have much faith that God could do it. Or that he would. Or that he would. I have learned so much from praying at the altar with people on Sunday mornings. If you don't know, here at our church, on Sunday mornings, we invite people to come forward and they pray with us. They pray with the pastors and some of our directors. And we anoint them with oil, which is a scriptural representation of prayer and healing. 
And there's no power in the oil, but when you anoint somebody with oil, you are calling upon the Holy Spirit to heal them. I have prayed for many people to be healed on Sunday mornings. I prayed for people to be healed from cancer, healed from physical pain, healed from diseases, all kinds of things. And when I was first starting out with it, when we first started doing it, there were a lot of prayers where I had to walk away from and say, man, did I really believe that prayer I just prayed over them? Do I really believe God could do it or that he would? But his word says we pray to him and leave the results with him, but what? That we come in faith. In fact, Luke 7, verse 50, Jesus said this to the woman. He said to the woman who was just healed, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When you pray, do you believe God would do it? Some of you have been praying for God to show himself real to you. That you would see him active in your life. When you pray, do you really believe he would? That's the first step to experiencing God and coming out of being an atheist or coming out of being an agnostic is giving it a chance of faith to say, all right, am I really going to see that there's a creator out there? Then you start walking down that path just like I did and you start seeing there's a real creator out there who loves you, who's always known you. And then the last one, D, God may have different plans. God may have different plans. As I answer this question, I want to be very cautious. One of the things I love about this series is that it is stretching all of us in this room to go deeper with our beliefs. I did not put a better plan because at first it doesn't always look like it is. But in the end, God's plan always ends up being better. But what you may see on the surface is that God may have a different plan. And I mean, hear me. What if what you're praying for, all of us, when I said, if God answered every prayer, we'd be married to somebody we didn't want to be married to. All of us laugh because we've been there. We've all prayed like, Lord, I think she or he is the one. And then realize, like, okay, I was very wrong on that one. Thank you, God, for sparing me. Your answer to my prayer was no, and I needed it, but I was mad about it for a long time, right? I think about Paul, and I think about the thorn that he had that he talks about in Scripture. I have a picture of a thorn because you can imagine the imagery he chooses to use when he talks about this weakness that he's been given, right? In 2 Corinthians, I'm about to read it. He says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh, that he had a weakness, that he had. And as you look at this picture, imagine like the reality that he uses a thorn in the flesh, to symbolize what that weakness was like. If this was in your body, if this was stuck to your hand, if this was in your arm, if this was in your leg, if this was in your side, it would trouble you all day long. You couldn't stop thinking about it. Every time you moved, it would hurt you. Anytime you tried to do anything, your mind would constantly go back to that sharp pain of that thorn in your flesh. And Paul says he had something like this. He said he had a thorn in the flesh. Some believe it's his eyesight. Some believe it was his speech. At the end of the day, we don't know. It may have been a person. You ever had a person that's a thorn in the flesh, right? You just can't get away from I don't know. A lot of people believe it was his sight, his speech. But he says, I have a thorn. And this is what he says about it in Scripture. He says, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. He says, therefore, line 2, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. 
Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. I take pleasure in insults. I take pleasure in hardships. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in difficulties, all for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul should have so much credit stored up when it comes to prayer. He was beaten, shipwrecked, tortured, all the things he could do for the gospel. His life did a complete 180. If anybody had credit in prayer to cash in, a bonus card, a coupon to get an answer from prayer. It was Paul, and yet he pleaded with God three times a day for that thorn to be taken away, and God wouldn't take it away. Why? Because God had a different plan. And then at the end of Paul's life, what did he say? He says, I have found the secret to being content, even with a thorn in the flesh, even with an unanswered prayer. Paul was content in all circumstances. Why? Because his joy was not dependent on an answer from prayer. It was dependent on the one he was praying to. And he never lost him. He never lost his presence. He never lost his comfort. Every time Paul had that thorn, cut him a little bit more and hurt him a little bit more and set him back a little bit more, every single time he said, I turned to the Lord and the Lord was my comfort. What if that is the case for you? Would you trust God in that? Like, what if there is something you have been praying for and praying for and praying for and praying for, and you don't like no and you don't want no, but you know that God's ways are higher than your ways. His thinking is higher than your thinking. Are you willing to trust him and say, hey, your grace is sufficient for me because your power, God, is perfected in my weakness. In my weakness, I bring you more glory than I ever could in my own strength. So does God answer every prayer the way we want? No. Does God answer every prayer immediately? No. But scripturally, I think that we can safely say this. I'll put our answer on the screen tonight. Our biblical answer is this. And it looks like it got cut off. That's anticlimactic, isn't it? (laughs) Work your way to a big answer like this and then you can't see it. I'll read it for you. And I'll read it very slowly. We may be able to get this fixed so that you can take a picture of it. I'd love for you guys to have the answer to each one of these. Our biblical answer is this. Please do write this down. God answers the prayers. God answers the prayers of his children. God answers the prayers of his children according to his will. Which may result in a yes No, or wait. With this in mind, Scripture encourages us to pray without ceasing and to trust in him with all our heart. With this in mind, Scripture encourages us to pray without ceasing and to trust in him with all of our heart. Heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.